So good evening. Good to uh, be with you here tonight. And we have been here before. Uh, I'd say the first time might have been in April or so of a year ago. And we were passing through. And then the, um, and we've been out in this area since then, but it was, uh, we flew. So we just kind of waved at you all as we went over. And uh, I, I prefer it that way in some ways, because it's a long drive from where we're from. We're from the People's Socialist Republic of Illinois. All right, so just so you know, a socialist state there and uh, communists, they're building walls there like Germany did back in the day to not let you out. But we made it out. And, uh, but uh, then we were here, uh, let's see, we are here April, I can't remember, but we are through here again, and I appreciate uh, your pastor and his wife, but I appreciate them letting us stay in the, uh, the prophet's chamber there. So my daughter is sick, and she, don't, I don't know what happened, but yesterday, um, how, do you, how many of you know what it's like to travel with little kids? You know, it's, uh, it's a lot of excitement, and, uh, and there's other words you could use to describe it as well. But uh, yesterday, she said, I mean, this is just of the Lord, really. She said, I, she'd been kind of sick all morning and she had a sore throat and things. And she said, out of the blue, she said, I feel like I'm going to, okay, and she used a word. And, um, and my wife was right on it. My wife reached down and I would not have, I just would have been like, you know, try to hold it or whatever. You know what I'm saying? Um, and, uh, you know, the dad, right? Yeah, but things don't usually happen this fast. And, and my wife reached down and found a Ziploc bag that had something else in it, and she got it out and handed it back. And, uh, boy, I'm telling you, right then. In fact, my wife couldn't even see it because my wife is sitting in front of where my daughter is in the, in the seats. And I look back, and, and there it was. So um, it was uh, not a pretty thing. And so then today she woke up, and she's doing better, but she, she hasn't, um, she's still in her, you know, she's 11 years old, and she's not even changed out of her nightgown or anything. But, um, and so then about noon, I started getting, didn't feel so well. But, um, but I mentioned that to my wife, you know, I feel like I'm going to, whatever she said, deal with it, bucko, you know, just uh, <laughs> get over yourself, man up. No, she didn't do that. Uh, she didn't even know. She was out a little bit, and... Um, Anyway, so, but I wasn't sick like that, but it's just weird. I don't know if something's going around, but so it's Julie and my wife are back um, across the area here back in the, in the province chamber, so they won't be here tonight, but hopefully you'll get to meet them later if you haven't already met them. Well, we are Purity Plan Ministries, and uh, I appreciate, uh, again, the opportunity to, to speak. I know some of you have had a long day and maybe afternoon already with um, the Anchor Club and everything, so... Uh, we, we're aware of that, but if you want to stop by the table back there, there are some books. Um, we have a book here on, um, I'm glad I'm a boy. These are brand new. Glad I'm a boy. I'm glad I'm a girl. There's a, one out there for boys, one out there for girls. Uh, probably 10 years ago, who would have thought we need to underscore that it's good to be a boy if you're a boy, right? And it's good to be a girl. So if you have children or grandchildren that might want to take a look at uh, that, creative poetry and uh, beautiful pictures, this lady and her husband approached me uh, about a year and a half ago or so and, and said, my wife is writing something, and would you be interested in, in uh, doing something with that? And so we helped her get it uh, going and published. And, and uh, so anyway, these are good people. And you might want to look at this book. There's one back there for boys called Creative for Work. It's really good for both boys and girls, but Creative for Work and 
Um, what's the other one, Micah? Um, Boyhood and Beyond is written by this guy. And there's one here on Lest You Fall, Meditations to Fight Moral Impurity. You see a bunch of other books out there for, for, um, for kids. This one you probably haven't um, seen before. It's called Zero One Hundred by a friend of mine. Probably now the best book we have out there. And it's called, um, the, on the back, it says, I always thought the Christian life was 50-50. So the question is, how much of the Christian life is supposed to be us, meaning when it comes to trying to live for God and be, be what we're supposed to be, and how much of it is God? And it's called Zero One Hundred. Very interesting book. We have, probably have a couple copies out there um, still. But uh, if you want to answer, have any questions for us, let us know. Uh, but, okay. Well, let's, why don't we jump in? I want us to... Um, Let's just go to Romans chapter 7 for the moment, or Romans chapter 6. And uh, so do we have, does everybody have two handouts or one handout? You have two? Okay. All right. So we want to look, first of all, at the matter of uh, how we get trapped in sin, and then as the Lord leads... um, I want to deal with how we get free from sin, and if we don't get to all of it, then um, maybe we'll find a way to, uh, you know, point you to where I've dealt with this before or something, and you could listen in. I'm not sure exactly how that will work, but there is a lot of stuff here. But in Romans chapter number 6, um, there's some, some words that um, would be helpful to us. Um, there was, I don't know if you heard about the, the man who was preaching and he, and he said to the, may I, may I tell you this before, but he was preaching and he said to the congregation, he said, I have so much to say, I don't know where to start. And they heard a little boy from the back, a little third grade boy said to his mom, how about somewhere near the end? <laughs> so anyway, uh, I don't know if we can start near the end tonight, but we'll try to move along. And uh, I know you, again, have probably had a long day, but uh, hopefully you can take some notes. If you need a pen or something, raise your hand. Because uh, there is a lot of fill in the blank here. So Romans chapter 6, as you know, um, this is probably Romans 6, 7, 8. I don't know uh, your preacher's uh, schedule of preaching and what he preaches on and what he, what, he, uh, what he comes back to often or what he doesn't get to every once in a while. The Bible's a big book. But Romans 6, 7, 8 is, is probably in some ways the, the high watermark about explaining how a person can be free from sin. All right. Now, when Lord calls this ministry uh, years ago, now it's been about 11 years. Uh, we pastored after that, so we've only been out for about six years, uh, being able to travel and things. Uh, but uh, but this has always been a fascinating chapter to me. Roman uh, chapters, series of chapters, Romans six, seven, and eight. And I would encourage you to, if this hasn't been something that you've been aware of about the importance of Romans six, seven, and eight, it is deep, but it's absolutely theologically unmissable if you want to understand what God is saying. Let me ask you this. Do you think that um, God knows how a person can be free from sin? Do you think he does? you think the Apostle Paul figured it out? He did, and he was the one who pinned this. And Romans 6, 7, 8 is phenomenal, and I would encourage you to just study it. And, um, and ask God to open your mind, and it'll be maybe a lifelong study. But it is really, it's the, this idea is if, if you can get on the trail of what does God expect or want in the Christian's life 
to live upon the power of sin, Romans 6, 7, 8 are going to take you there. There are a lot of other truth that has to be brought in too, uh, but Romans 6, 7, 8 is definitely the theological foundation for the whole thing. So in other words, we have to get back to what God is telling us is the foundation. And some of it will seem like, I don't get it, and it's impractical. I think what you got to do is you just got to, uh, if you're an angry person, you just got to stop being angry. Okay? Well, how many have ever struggled with something and someone tells you to stop, and that helped about as much as someone saying, you know, jump over the Grand Canyon? You know, when someone tells you to stop being angry, just, you know, going forward, you know, if you, if you get frustrated, just stop being frustrated. Well, the Bible actually has a verse that says, can the Ethiopian change his skin or the leopard his spots? And the idea is, if he could, then it goes on and says, so would you be able to change who are accustomed to do evil? All right? So we have to realize that the, the, the theology of the Christian life, when it comes to victory over sin, is not basically some version of stop. Okay? Because what that does is cut out the Lord. Are you with me? The Lord doesn't want you to somehow find victory over besetting sin just because you really just worked harder at this year than you did five years ago. Or you just made a decision this time, and you're just going to bless God. You're just going to make sure that decision starts and uh, you know, uh, kicks in and all that. It leaves out God, even if you say, well, no, I'm not trying to leave out God. But if the focus is you, when the problem is you, then you've got a problem. All right? So if, if you're like, I'm the problem. Yeah, no one makes me mad, although my husband actually does. Um, but, um, you know, and the kids, if they just behave better, I wouldn't have to, like, throw stuff. All right, if you're a mom. Um, if your neighbor was a better neighbor, you wouldn't have to be so angry at them. If traffic was different, if people drove all perfectly, you wouldn't have to yell at them as you went by, you know, and because they drive so slow. How many know people drive slow? Anybody? Or badly. The older you get, people drive too fast. When you're young, everybody drives slow. So you, if you're an angry person, you're never happy the whole life because you're always mad at some driver. But the point is this, that just by introduction here, since I'm my biggest problem, are you your biggest problem? Yeah. Not our spouse, not our kids, not the fact that I wasn't saved until I was 35, not the fact that my boss is out, you know, my boss, you know, does not help me and he tries to aggravate me or, or you know, I'm my biggest problem. So if I all of a sudden think I got to be the solution, when I'm actually my biggest problem, then I'm going to have a problem. I've got to bring Romans 6, 7, 8 into it. So let's look at a few verses here. Verse 1 of chapter 6. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? So right off the bat here, they're saying something that doesn't sound like it's helpful, but it's, it is. We're dead to sin. All right? And Paul's saying here, hey, are we supposed to continue sinning? So that grace can just keep abounding. In other words, you can get God's forgiveness and, and all this. And he says, no, God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? And so he's saying, you're, you're not even supposed to be, you don't need to be claiming God's grace. So this is what I say. Um, we'll just let the Lord direct how far we get in the actual notes here. But just to say this, how many know First John 1, 9? You know First John 1, 9? If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to what? Forgive us and cleanse from all unrighteousness. Now, so it really comes down to, is this your testimony? We probably go to the principle of 1 John 1, 9 every day. Is that true? 
Okay, we're in church. That means everybody's like, I'm not answering anything because I'm, I got this, my face on here, my church face. Do we probably sin every day? Yeah. Multiple times a day, probably. I mean, even if it's not conscious sin or sins that we're actively saying, well, I'm just going to go do wrong or I'm purposely going to be, you know, an angry person or a lustful person or, you know, depressed and giving up on life and everything. There are sins of commission. There are sins of what? Omission. There are sins of ignorance. There's all sorts of sins. And so we've got a major problem, meaning us. And so First um, John 1, 9 comes in very handy because I need it like every day, right? right? But here's the thing. That's part of God's grace that he gives us the cleansing ability at the end of after we sin. But, Pastor, first, here's my question to people. If God's grace can be on the end of sin, could it also be front-loaded on the front of sin? So that we don't have to claim 1 John 1, 9. Couldn't we claim verses like 2 Corinthians 12, 9 through 11 or 12 that says, his grace is sufficient for me? Are you with me? In other words, we claim God's grace not to sin. We wouldn't have to claim God's grace to forgive us of sin. So we got to get our mind that if God's grace is sufficient to forgive me and cleanse me and pick me up, isn't he doesn't have a grace uh, like Jude says, that he's able to keep me from falling. So why does a person sin? A person sins because they want to sin. So there's no sin you've ever committed that you didn't have an active part in it, where you, you decided your will, you used your will, it combined, as I talked to the Hope group the other day, uh, your will and the temptation, and that was created the sin. Someone has said to me to this, the only reason we're not free from sin is because we love our sin. Now, I'm just trying to be real with you. Maybe by the end of the night here, you know, we'll loosen up and realize, okay, he really doesn't want church, churchy type things like acting like we have no problems. He really wants us to be transparent and act like, oh, hmm, the reason I sin is because I love my sin. Well, if you say, I don't know if that, but it's certainly not because you hate your sin, <laughs> right? Nobody ever goes, I say this all the time, nobody ever goes kicking and screaming into sin. It's never like the, the devil comes and puts my arm behind me. He's like, okay, Dave, um, go yell at your kids, you know, because they're not obeying on the 10th time. And, um, you know, they should obey. And so when you yell and threaten to ground them till they're 49, you know, that'll work. And um, so... No, no one ever, no one ever twisted my arm to make me sin. Usually, okay. Now, with me, I'm going to want you to nod your head this way, okay? Because I already know where, who we are. Okay, we're all the same. Sin is where we kind of often is where we kind of roll up our sleeves and go towards it. All right. I mean, no one's ever made you watch a movie that took God's name in vain, where you know where you just stayed into it, you know, or watched where it has sexual scenes. No one ever, no one ever makes us do this. If if we were made to do it, then it wouldn't be sin. Sin is where we choose to do it. So, but we're actually dead to sin. All right. So, in God's mindset, if you're saved, there is a unresponsiveness 
that the new man has to sin. Okay, you're dead to sin, but now you're raised, as we won't read the whole chapter, but now you're raised to new life. So baptism is a picture of this. You're dead to sin. God considers that old man dead. And dead meaning this like unresponsive. Okay, it's been put away. The, 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 the have to when it comes to sin has been dealt with. You no longer have to sin. So we want to, we do. We never have to again. Now, the Bible does say this about unsaved people. They are taken captive by him. What's the next phrase? At his will. So when you were unsaved, you had to sin. Maybe not every moment of every day, but eventually you would give in. A saved person doesn't have to ever give in. Let me say it again. A saved person doesn't ever have to give in. Why? Because if you have Christ in you, And if you're abiding in him, if you're trusting him, if you're running to him for the victory, Jesus doesn't lose battles. He's never lost a battle, and he won't lose yours if you bring him in. I say this all over the country. If you bring God in to your battle, you will win that battle because God's not a battle loser. He's a battle winner. He's a chain breaker. He sets the captive free. So we're dead to sin. And look at verse 3. Know ye not that as many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ, we're baptized into his death. Okay, it's not talking about like salvation by baptism. It's talking about we were placed in Jesus and uh, immersed into him. And then it says, therefore we are buried with him by baptism to death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so, what's the next word? We also should walk in newness of life. Look at verse 6. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, there's that idea of being uh, dead, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth, I just love this phrase, that henceforth we should not serve sin. That's what God's goal is, that you would no longer serve sin. And the only reason you can hope that to be true, not that you will ever get to the place where you can't give in to sin, but you don't have to be at the place where you're just befuddled and bewildered. Why do I keep doing the things I do? Okay? He says this. No, you can walk in newness of life. You don't have to serve sin. You, sin was your old master, as he says later on in, in the chapter. Look at verse 18. Being, made then, being then made free from sin, you became the servants of righteousness. Okay? So now we have a new master. It's like this. Do we have anybody here who, um, like, owns rental property like you're a landlord? Anybody here? Okay. So uh, I've known people that, that have, have done this. And um, let's say this gentleman back here, um, he, I used to rent from him. And then he sold the property, and a new, a new, new uh, landlord, a new owner came in. And we have a different arrangement. And let's say that new landlord says, you guys can live here rent-free. Or I have some other arrangement with him. That has to do with, I'm not paying monthly anymore. And all of a sudden, what's your name, sir? Frank. Frank one day shows up at my door, and he says, uh, you haven't been paying. And I'll be like, paying what? Paying your rent. Paying my rent to who? Me. I don't owe you rent. Yes, you do. And here's the bill that says, you need to pay. And I'll say this. If I was smart, no, I'm not that smart sometimes. But if I was smart, I'd say, uh, Frank, you need to get off my porch because there's a new owner. I don't owe you anything. 
and he could threaten. He could say, I'll call the cops on you. I'll have you thrown out on your ear. He could say all sorts of stuff, and I'll be like, I don't have to do anything to you. You're not, I'm dead to you. You're, you're not my manager anymore. You're not my landlord. You're not my master anymore, all right? Um, and the point is this. Satan will tempt us with things, but now because of Christ, we have the ability to say no because Christ is the new master. Can I get an amen on that? Amen. He is, right? We believe that we are servants to righteousness now. John eight thirty two. if the Son therefore shall make you free, you shall be what? Free indeed. Free indeed. Yeah, exactly. It's not just free, free indeed. Okay? So Paul says the reason you can have hope of being free is because you actually are free, you're not free from the desire to sin. You are free from the power of sin. Can I get an amen on that? We don't have to sin anymore if we've gone through the death process with Christ and now we're crucified with him and now we're alive. Okay? Christ is the one giving orders now. The devil comes along. The flesh comes along. Okay? Then in Christ I can, I can resist because I don't have to. It's not the old system anymore where I eventually had to give in. All right, look at Romans 7 for a moment. Romans 7, though, what's interesting is Paul gives us his testimony. Look at verse, verse 18. For I know that in me dwelt, that is in my flesh, dwelt no good thing. For the will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. So now Paul is giving an experiential testimony about his struggle. Verse 19, for the good that I would, I do not, but the evil which I would not, that I do. Now if I do that, what I would not, is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelt in me. I find in a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. And we all know that. How, we all understand the, that dynamic. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man, but I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind, and bringing me into captivity the law of sin which is in my members. O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? And we talked about this in the Hope Group the other day. Paul says, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? He doesn't say what. In other words, it's not about trying harder. It's not, a, it's not a, a what at all. It's a person. And then he says, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's who it is. So then with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. So folks, it's so important why we have a renewed mind, okay? So every day, we have an opportunity to get into the Bible and get our mind renewed. And the reason that's important is because with your mind, you're going to serve the law of God. If you don't have a renewed mind, the flesh is going to kick in. So in other words, you're either in the spirit or in the what? The flesh. And Paul says in another place, Galatians 5, if you walk in the spirit, you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. So it really comes down to this. If I'm going to walk in the spirit, that's going to deal with my besetting sin. If I don't walk in the spirit, if I just kind of walk as a man and just walk as a, you know, who I am is who I am. Don't try to change me. Don't, you know, pastor, don't try to change me. Wife, don't try to change me. You know, I'll change on my own terms. Yeah, you'll lose on your own terms until you realize, like, you know what? I got to be in the spirit. That means I have to, there's an action here. Walk in the spirit. I have to be connected to him consciously. And if I'm connected to Christ consciously, I won't ever sin at least consciously, because the one, that you, the one that wins, whether it be the flesh or Christ or the devil or Christ, is the one that you give into. And that's what he says here in Romans chapter 6. He says, don't you know that whoever you yield yourself to, that's whose servant you are. So the Christian life comes down to who are you yielding to? 
It's not about that you've had a problem for 30 years in this category. We all have had problems for 30 years. So I want you to raise your hand for a moment, then we'll jump in the outline. I'm going to ask you a question, but it's going to reveal that you're not perfect yet. So if you're still trying to fake it and maybe everyone thinks you're perfect, you'll just keep your hand down, okay? Um, so we'll be really impressed because you'll know that you're actually lying in church. Okay, here we go. Um, how many say, yeah, there are, there are things that I have that I am weak in. There are areas that I struggle with that have been long time, uh, a long time struggle. Okay, so maybe five years, 10 years, 15 years, 30 years, 50 years. Maybe it's just been since three months. But you have a struggle in an area, and it's pretty persistent. Can you raise your hand? All right, we're looking around. Okay, all right, put your hands down. How many say, no, I don't have any struggles. In fact, I'm like Gabriel. I just, I just come to church so I can bless everybody by my presence. Anybody? Did you raise your hand, Pastor? Oh, no, you're, you're straightening your tie. Okay. You made me nervous there because his wife looked at him like, how dare you raise your hand? Okay, no. All right. So the person who wins, no matter how long and of long-term standing your problem is, the person who wins going forward, because you're not a captive to sin anymore, you've been freed at the expense of the life of Christ on this earth. That's what it cost him to free you. He didn't just say, oh, I'll help you if you need help. No, he actually died to free you. The only reason we sin, the, the way, the, the, what happens when we sin is this, or don't sin, is who we choose to give in to. I give in to myself, my passions, my desires, my lusts, my logic, or give in to Christ. So it comes down to Romans 6, 7, 8 are all about, so Romans 6 is about the truth of dying to sin. Romans 7 comes down to um, being dead to the law, which is another point, the first part being dead to the law. But then it talks about that there's this battle. And then it says the battle is one in your mind. It's not positive thinking. I'm not talking about that. But the fact is the way you resist temptation is sometimes your body's involved. If I'm in a bad situation around bad people and they're tempting me to drink or to smoke or to, you know, and they're taking God's name in vain and all sorts of stuff. I mean, sometimes like Joseph, you just have to get out, right? But usually the battle's one up here. In the sense that you decide, I'm going to focus on Christ, I'm going to depend on Christ, or, eh, I'm going to give in here. I'm going to, you know, my wife's being angry at me, so she does, she does not respond unless I really come after her, go after her. So I'm going to give it to her. And what happens is then, we give into our flesh instead of, in our mind, running to Christ. Okay, the Bible says, um, set your affection on things above, not on things this earth. The word set your affection has the word freeing in it. It's talking about your mind. So what is another verse on mind, um, Brother First? Um, yes, re renewing of your mind, okay? If you study out mind, 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 the fact is you can win the battles, and that's why you have to put scripture in there. You have to renew your mind. You just have to do whatever God wants you to do with your mind because the battle is won or lost up here, okay? There's a verse I'm forgetting, though. Um, all that. Perfect. Thank you. Let that, let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. Victory battles are won up here by me choosing to do and yielding to Christ instead of yielding to the peer group or yielding to my emotions or yielding to my desires. Okay, look at how do we get trapped in sin. Number one, the five characteristics of getting in is, first of all, there is a resort. Can you write that down? There is a resort that a person, so this is how you get trapped, all right? So if you've had a long-term sin, this is it. This is how it happens. It doesn't happen, 
you know, some other strange way. These are basically some of the main characteristics. Um, there is a resort. In other words, you could put a recourse. There's a recourse. Okay, you keep going the same place. A resort is a place of habitual or frequent general visiting, right? You just look that up. Uh, it's a place you go, all right? So sin is, is a place you go. It may be an emotion that you go to, but it is that. It may be a, um, a substance that you go to, but it's, it's kind of, if you can get my figurative way of looking at this, uh, sin is a resort, okay? Um, so let me give you a very practical example. When I was, when I was about 17, uh, 16, um, I got introduced to the wrong kind of music from somebody in my Christian school. And um, sin can be, now I'm not blaming that person, but music can be a resort that people run to, the wrong kind of music. And they might know it's wrong, they might have to hide it, they might justify and say, well, you know, uh, my pastor doesn't agree with this, but that's okay, you know, and blah, blah. Well, yeah, and so we don't care, ultimately, who says what and who doesn't say what. What it comes down to is there is right and wrong, and what matters is what the Spirit says. But what's interesting is, I'm going to say something about music here. I don't know where you come from and all sort of stuff. I was a music minor in school, so, but just to say this a little bit about music is that um, the, the, um, everything in this world is corrupted since the fall. Everything is tainted. All right? So we can't just say that there's nothing that's not tainted. So music is tainted. And the unbelievers that make music, they're appealing to a certain crowd. Now, if that same music same music appeals to me, that probably says something about me. Does that make sense? Because when people go to bars, there's a soundtrack. Okay? And it's not Handel's Messiah. Hallelujah. Okay? It's not Ron Hamilton. It's not... There's a soundtrack that people who are unsaved sin to. Are you with me? Whether it be drinking or promiscuousness, there's a soundtrack, literally. There's a musical type. Now, if when I wasn't right with the Lord at 16, that music appealed to me for one reason. I wasn't right with the Lord. But should music that appeals to all sorts, that, that goes on literally sometimes while the wicked are sinning. Should that be in the life of a believer? There's something incongruous there. So then I just ask myself, maybe, maybe I'm, my musical taste needs to be, to be changed. And what I'm going to have to do is realize that music, though, is a resort for me. Now, so here's the thing. When I'm in a bad mood, if you're in a, having a bad day, do you go to a certain type of Media, music, movies, friends, when you're, when you're having a bad day. Because your flesh is looking for a resort to go to to get a little bit of relief. Okay? It's a resort. And God wants to, here's the hard part. God wants to be our resort in every situation. And, it, and if, we, if we say, that doesn't sound very, that doesn't sound appealing at all. <laughs> You mean I can't sin and God wants to be my resort? That sounds like so vanilla-ish, vanilla-ish. Like, ah. Do you guys like vanilla? If you give me a chance between chocolate 
ice cream, vanilla ice cream, it's not even a question. I don't really like vanilla that much, unless I'm, there's no chocolate. Then I'm all in, I'll jump in the vat, okay? But the point is, it's a resort, okay? Um, look at this, Bible examples of sinful resorts. Samson, Judges 6. Samson's resort was women. Solomon, Solomon's having to be women also. So the blank number two is Solomon. Uh, Israel, I mean, Solomon had, definitely had a problem, right? If you had 1,000, you know, 300 wives and 700 concubines, that's, that's kind of, that's a lot of dating that's going on, okay? Someone did figure out sometime how many marriages you have to have a week to marry that many women. We're talking about like every third day or whatever, he's getting married, you know, or something. I mean, it's, try to do 1,000, try to, you know, people lived back then to maybe 50 or whatever. You know, he probably didn't start this until he was 20-ish or something. In 30 years, uh, you know, uh, 700 concubines, you know, and 300 wives, how, that's a lot of marriages. Um, does anyone say, I have a problem with one? No, we don't want to ask that, okay? Um, 300, all right? They have a problem with just one of us. Israel, Ezekiel 29, they had high places. Look at the bottom line on that first page. You can turn to or resort to and delight yourself in God, or you can turn to, resort to, and delight yourself in something else, and sin comes when it's something else. All right. Um, you can look at the verse on the next page, but I love ver the, the third one down, Psalm 71, 3. Be thou my strong habitation, whereunto I may, you might want to underline, continually resort. By the way, I don't know your background. You, you may be newly saved. You may be saved for many years. Anything I say about music or whatever, just realize that I'm talking about my own experience. You might have a, you might have a different thought process about it, but um, it'd be interesting for you to hear the fact of someone who actually says, when I was listening to wrong music, it had nothing to do with God. And I'm not just trying to bring it around. I'm trying to almost back off and say this, that I'm not hammering you because I don't know you. Does that make sense? Not, you know, if you struggle with certain music or something that's maybe not, you know, you're trying to work through that. I'm not hammering you. I'm just trying to say, all my life I have struggled with things like that. Okay? And um, to this day, um, there are things that a guy will struggle with that a girl might think, like a lady might think, I don't even know. Like, for instance, you know a weakness of mine over the years was certain types of media where it's like this guy is like blowing up buildings and stuff. You know, saving the world from the terrorists or whatever. You know, now some women might be like, why would you watch a movie where he's like blowing up skyscrapers? It's like, are you kidding? That's the best stuff ever. You know, the more skyscrapers get blown to bits, that's the better. Okay, women are kind of like, no, for me it's those movies that just, <laughs> you know, I'm crying and, you know, and all sort of stuff. Well, guys and girls are different, but all my life I've had certain weaknesses when it comes to music or media. This type of stuff. And I'm, so I'm just trying to tell you where I'm coming from, that um, a lot of it just was the flesh. It wasn't God never made me want to watch an R-rated movie where, you know, they're killing all the zombies, all right? had nothing to do with God. Uh, number two, there are basic root issues. There are basic root issues. We're jumping down a little bit. Some of this is kind of like things to think about. There are basic root issues. The three root issues are, anyone know where they are? Yeah, not trusting God is the first one, um, and, and unbelief would be that, would be in the same idea, but unbelief is kind of a vague concept. Not trusting God, so here's what happens, here's why I sin every time. Unbelief, or not trusting God, self-love, self what? Self-love, so self-centeredness, and the third one is pride, thank you. So, 
some of you who were not in the Hope uh, thing the other day, I just want to say, I, I teach this all over the country, that um, these are three sins, there are three issues that are always in play every time you sin. Okay, so sin is a, do we have a, look at this right here. Sin is a three-legged, sits on a three-legged stool, as it were. One, two, three. So your besetting sin is up here. Your child's besetting sin is up here. But every time in play is not trusting God, self-centeredness, and pride. So the thing is this, I go around the country telling people we can focus on our sin and we should because that thing is grieving God's heart. But do you think those things are grieving God's heart? You can't sin unless you're proud. You can't sin unless you're thinking about yourself and giving into what yourself wants to do. You can't sin unless you leave God out. Now, I can't remember what I preached on last time I was here, but let me just say this. I know it says emergency exit only, so I won't open it up. But here's how bad, here's how bad it is when we give into sin. The first one is the worst one, unbelief. It's like this. If I would just open the door to God, if I would just trust him in the problem, I would never have to sin, okay, because I'm going to be in the spirit at that point, and I won't give the lust of flesh. The reason sin is so wicked is because every time, will there be an alarm that goes off if I open this? Okay. The reason sin is so wicked is because every time I sin, I have to do this. God's way is there, the way of escape. God is there. Every time I sin, I have to do this. I literally have to hold the door shut. And folks, that's called unbelief. And think how bad it is, really, if you never thought of it. Think how bad unbelief is because not only are we giving in to the thing that we give into, which would be sin, if, you know, I mean, we give into sin. We choose righteousness. You never fall onto righteousness like by, just by like, by default. You have to walk in the spirit. So it's an action that takes place. The reason sin is so bad, among other things, is this. Every time God wanted to give me escape, he wanted to give me escape, and I didn't want it. Unbelief is where I say this. Just a minute, God. Let me look at the movie I'm going to look at. Let me look at the videos I'm going to look at. You know, lustful. Let me uh, yell here. Let me be a critical Christian. Let me um, do the wrong things here. And I'm, I got my hand on the door because I don't want God in at that moment. I don't know if your problem is that you're an angry person, but we deal with this all the time. If you're an angry person, you're going to have to realize that your sin is not a result of people who are just idiots in your life. We'd like to blame everybody else. They're idiots. You know, the, the people I work with, the people who drive. And I was like, no, no. We are set on our own way. And there was never one time in my life I didn't hold the door shut on God to give in. For, to give in. Oh, later on, 1 John 1, 9. Bingo. God, come in. I'm so sorry I said those things. I'm so sorry I did those things. Help me not to do those again. And, and two hours later, so I can give in. So what we have to do if we're going to find victories, we have to go to God and say, God, you've got to start dealing with the roots. The roots. It's, it's the idea of this dandelions in my yard. If I'm just pulling the tops off the dandelions, they're going to grow up again in just a little bit, right? Because I'm not dealing with anything that matters. 
just plucking the head off that thing. So if I look at, like, God, help me with this problem I have, and all I'm doing is focus on the, the sin itself, God's like, no, no, you got a, you got a lot of things down here that I want to work on. And folks, let me just say this. The only way God will get, be able to get to those is if you let him have everything. As long as you're kind of a half-consecrated Christian and you get concerned about a besetting sin and you only want him to deal with that sin, but you're not wanting him to, like, take your life, you know, take control of your life, he won't help you because he's not playing games. He's not interested in the symptoms of your problem. He's interested in the problem of your problem. So he allows our problems to get out of hand, out of control, and we are thinking, oh, that's a crisis issue because now my anger is going to cost me my marriage or my lust problem is going to cost me my job or, you know, I'm ruining my testimony at work because I'm laughing at the bad jokes or I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not standing for Christ. And, and why don't we stand for Christ? Because we're standing for ourselves. But the thing is, I have to be saying this, God, I'm going to give you permission to work deep down. Does that seem like something God would want to do? For it's God that works in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. So as long as I'm only interested in like, oh, take care of this problem because it's ruining my marriage, God's like, take care of the problem because it's ruining your marriage? Oh, huh. So what happens if I help you save your marriage? Oh, well, I'll just, I'll go back to my old independent self. Just save me from my latest crisis. And God says, that's not what I do. I tell you very clearly, be a living sacrifice. So when we surrender to him, he then can work at lower levels. All right? So this is why you'll probably your pastor so will speak on surrender. That's why next week, you have your Bible meetings next week? You're probably going to hear messages on surrender and consecration and dedication and give it all and that type of stuff. And God will be working on you about things that aren't even really the main thing in your mind maybe. But you're like, after a while, you're like, God, I'm yours, all yours. And God's like, good. Because if I go into a surgery room and say to the doctor, um, listen, I only want you to do certain things. If I go to my doctor and my doctor says, here, take this pill, you know, take this, go home, and you need to do this. And I'm like, oh, no, I don't want to do that. I just want this solved. The doctor's going to say, well, why do you even come to me if you don't want my solution? Do you have some medical degree? No, I just don't want to go through that process. And, and you'll be like, okay, well, go find yourself another doctor then. That's what God does. When God gives us solutions in the Bible, if we want to kind of like bicker with him and say, no, no, not surrender, no, not give up that, no, no, just help me over here. And God's like, oh, well, guess what? Can't do that. Okay? So a resort and then root issues. Number three, there is rationale. We sin because of rationale. The question is this. We all have reasons for what we do, but what do you tell yourself and others for unbiblical behavior? Okay, this might be a teenager who's in rebellion. And if you ask them why they're rebelling, they'll say, because my mom does not let me do anything that my friend's going to do. Okay, so they, they focus on something else, the rationale. The danger is, the last line on that page, this is why a person can be enslaved in a sin. They begin to try to legitimize the behavior. So we win when we stop legitimizing. The next page, Bible examples of this type of rationale is Adam. The blank would be someone. You could write the word someone. And, and hopefully you can use these. I think I encourage the, uh, the Friday group to go home and kind of use this even part of your devotions maybe. Um, blaming someone. The second blank is blaming something. Blaming something else. This is the slothful man is 
he won't plow by reason of the cold, or he says there's a lion in the streets. You know, he's blaming something always, and, but he's just being slothful and lazy. Absalom was citing justice. You could write down the word justice or fairness. So Absalom got way out of line, ended up costing him his life, and his, he started with telling people, hey, you could, if, someone, if David, my father, had someone here that would hear your grievances, that's what you need. I'm here for you. So he was citing just sometimes. Now, I, I'm going to be honest with you. This has been a problem with me over the years. This has been. And that's probably why it's in these notes. I have been, do you realize that when God works on your heart, so I got right with the Lord about 17. And I mean, I, had, I think I'd been right with the Lord, but then there was a period of time where I was, then I had to come back to the Lord in a big way. And that changed everything. But um, sometimes, um, is, is, God a God of, is God a God of justice? He is, isn't he? So sometimes when you move closer to the Lord, you know, you, you get the attributes he has. So I, I'm a person, I'm not trying to talk about spiritual, I'm just saying this is one thing. I'm very interested in just, that just, that fairness and right be done. But that can have a, a bad side too. Because then when I see things not being done right, I can justify having a bad attitude or being critical or being gossipy. Is anybody with me? So let's say the place you work, the management is just terrible. Okay? Or the place you used to work if you retired or whatever. You know what? We can say, well, because they're bad, it justifies me being able to just be disgruntled as an employee, even though I'm a Christian. When God actually says your real master is Jesus, right? You serve the Lord Christ. But we can justify because they're doing something wrong that I can do something wrong because my point is actually more legitimate than what they're doing. But God says, I don't need you to get involved in this. Okay? In other words, God doesn't need you to sin just because other people are sinning. Is anybody with me? And this is what's really easy even in a church. You know, the, the biggest command essentially right up there when it comes to churches is love one another. Does that sound like something the Bible would say a lot of? There's really no commandment greater than these is to love God and then love your neighbor as yourself. But in churches, we don't love our neighbor as ourselves. The reason is because we see all these problems. We see that person doing this. We see that person dropping out of church. And, you know, why are they dropping out of church? I heard they're la, 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 you know. Or did you see what she did? Or do you hear the way she treated that kid in Kanger Club or whatever? And, we're, and we're, we're doing all these things, and we're justifying our wrong action because of someone else's wrong action. And we could act like, well, I'm just trying to, like, go on record to say that's not right. God doesn't need you to go on record with your three other gossipy friends that something's not right. So we can't cite, I'm just doing this. Sometimes someone can justify being angry because it gets results. So let's say, are you guys related? You are? Brothers? So let's say you're my sons. Scary thought, I know, all right? But here's the thing. Let's say you're younger. Let's say you're about you know, 12 and 13. And I know that when I get angry, see, because you don't obey very well. Now, your brother obeys very well. You don't, okay? But, but then sometimes you, you don't clean your rooms up like you're supposed to, or I have to tell you three times to put away this and this or finish a job, and you guys are not listening. So finally, after I've told you three times, I'm going to be like, now listen to me. I've already told you three times. Next time, okay, and I'm all mad, right? And what happens is you guys snap into place. I mean, in, in, my, 
in my story here. Now, you may be really bad and not snap into place. I don't know. That's for another, that's for next week's revival meeting. Um, but see, then I justify it. See, when you get angry, it works. What happens is God's saying, there you go. Now you're like knee deep into your own trap. Because now you're rationalizing that it's okay for me to put one more wound on Christ on the cross because it works with my rebellious kids. I know I'm doubling back a little bit, but the point is this. I have to realize that God, that's unbelief too. What I'm doing is saying this. I know I'm not supposed to be angry. I know it shoots my testimony. I know it's not right, but it gets results. Just a minute, God. I'll be done in a minute. And God's like, you are justifying your sin because it gets results. And folks, you just got to go back and say, you know what? I've got to stop playing this game with God that God doesn't need me to correct this world or correct other people all the time. Okay? I just need to be right with him. All right. Look at, um, look at number four. There, are, there is the selfish reward. You can work the word are, the word reward, but there is the reward. In other words, the selfish reward and this is how we, we continue to sin is because there is some payout. It feels good to gossip. It feels good to undermine the pastor. It feels good to, you know, be part of the gang at church or at work that's show they're talking dirty, but I don't want to, like, act like I'm all that. So I just go along with the dirt and I go along with the blasphemy. I just become one of the guys or gals at work. Um, there are alternatives you can have. Look at verse Psalm 19.10 down at the bottom. More to be desired are they than gold. More by, last phrase, more by them as I serve and warn and keeping them with great reward. God also has a reward system, doesn't he? Genesis 15, 1, after these things, the word of the Lord came unto Abram in a vision saying, Fear not, Abram, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. You can flip over to the last page. There is the rebel. This, this might be one of the top ones, even though it's point number five. How do we sin? Why do we sin? Why do we have besetting sin? Because there's a rebel. There's a rebel. And who is that rebel? Us. You could write next to it in parentheses, me. Nobody can make me rebel. I choose to rebel. And you can see Bible examples there. This is where, see underneath the Bible examples, there's some lines there. It says, this is where a person reveals his or her leaning or their bent or their inclination. I have all these synonyms. But this is what happens. When I'm a rebel, when I give in, this is, this is where I reveal, actually, that I lean toward this. I'm more inclined to be a rebel than I am to be righteous. Um, I reveal my corruption, my rogue nature. That every one of these points has a question. I'll read this one. Ask yourself, where have I defied God or biblical truth to participate in my sin? And you, you could say whatever your sin is. But we actually have to rebel against God in a big way. So the summary is this. I have a resort. This is how I get trapped. This is how anybody you work with who's trapped, this is how they get trapped. I have a resort. I go there because of the root, those three things. I rationalize it. I get a reward, though, and I rebel. And so these are, these are very serious things, and I think a person has to look at these and say, God, you've got to change me to a deep level. What I need is for there to be a, what's that last word? A rescuer. Yeah. And not just a rescue, but a rescuer. It goes back to the person. And that person is going to free me from myself. 
my bondage. So this is the development of a trapped believer, and there, there's a lot to be said. And, um, and on the back table, there are some handouts. Can you go with me to the second handout real fast? Brother Matt, maybe you can tell me how much you want me to do on this, but how we find freedom. Let's just whiz through this. Now, this is probably an hour and a half, um, some things here, but um, how I find freedom. Um, one authority, now this refers to sexual addiction, just so you know, okay? So this is originally probably done for a men's group or something, or a college group. One authority on sexual addiction says that most, does everybody have this next sheet? Okay. Most men never get out of sexual addiction. Okay, so this one th authority says he realized one day he, w he was in sexual addiction. And he realized, this is what he says in his book, that he realized that most men never get out of sexual addiction. And I say, thankfully, though, there is a road that can be traveled to live in victory. Now, let me just tell you what this guy said. This guy said, so he was like a 20-year sexual addict, all right? And he's writing in his book about this, and he says this, there was a day where I realized that most men never get out. And he says, that was the day I cut the cord to my cable. Now, that's a euphemism for, you know, getting rid of the, the things that were trapping him on TV. I don't think he literally meant cable, but he might have been. But maybe today it would be satellite or subscription to, you know, Netflix or whatever. Whatever is causing you. And this is what he said. There was a day when I realized most men don't get out. And that is true, just so you know, okay? And whatever your besetting sin is, most people don't get out. They just die that carnal Christian. Even if everyone thinks they're great, even if they're a deacon in the church, even if they're, you know, the head of the, you know, the bake sale or whatever. Do you guys do bake sales here? Okay. Good thing I disclaimed that. Can you think bake sales? That's for liberal churches. All right. Well, anyway, um, we don't do bake sales. Are you kidding? All right. So, um, but the point is, even if you're respected at church, doesn't mean that you're where you need to be spiritually, right? And most people don't get out because they don't do what's going what's gonna to take. And what he meant was, I finally said, you know what? I'm going to do what it takes by God's grace. All right? At some point, the next phrase, at some point God has to truly intervene in a person's life after salvation or else they will never break through from the Romans 7 experience. That whole idea we read, you know, what I do, I don't want to do, what I don't do, what I don't want to do is what I do. That is, their sanctification in, in particular areas will get stalled. All right, so... What it takes to get out. This is a sevenfold framework for getting out of sin. And th there's a lot that goes into all this. But if you're interested, um, there's help here, all right? That be, you at least begin to get the outline of where, what you need to do. Number one is there has to be a desperate need. Can you write that word desperate down? If anyone else needs a handout, let me know. We can get one to you real fast. There's a des it has to be desperate need. Um. This is, and by the way, every once in a while, again, you would see reference to sexual sin, but only because that was how I designed this, but um, a desperate need. Um, this is not just, you might want to write this down. It says underneath it, this is not just acknowledgement or awareness of a problem. Okay? Being aware of your struggle is not the same as being desperate about your struggle. All right? So God has help for people who are desperate. All right, and by the way, if you're working with someone who's struggling with a sin, these are things you would pray for. 
okay, because they're not going to get out just because they come to you about, help me with this problem or this problem, okay? You're going to be looking for seven things here, at least many of these. Desperate need. The, the paragraph says the hope of a person is in his desperateness. This goes for all of us, okay? In other words, it's not just for the person struggling with drugs or, or you know, having really bad sexual sin, no. This is a person whom God is stripping away of his self-reliance, self-trust, self-hope. This person is beginning to see himself in his true state. He is realizing the problem is not just surface, that the problem is within him or her. Jeremiah 13, 23, can the Ethiopian change his skin or the leopard his spots? Then may you also do good that are accustomed to do evil. You're not going to change your nature, okay, unless you're desperate. God's got to do it, but he works with desperate people. And let me say this too. Do a study on the miracles. I mean, I told someone this lately. I don't think I said this to the group on Friday. Do a study on the miracles. God doesn't do miracles except for desperate people. Think about a miracle. Now, we're not talking about they're all ready to die, but some of them were. The, the, the widow of Zarephath, you know, these, these widows, they have no food. They're dying. The famine is taking them. The children of Israel at the, at the, um, the Red Sea. God does a great miracle. How many know, what, what did God do at the Red Sea? Anyone remember? Part of the Red Sea. Is that a pretty big miracle? Years ago, I saw a cartoon of a guy that was, I think it was like Farsight or something, and he said, he showed Moses practicing that when he was younger. And it showed him in the bathtub trying to split the water or whatever, okay? And it didn't happen, all right? But the point was that God does miracles for desperate people. Very rarely will you find a miracle in the Bible, old or new, where God just says, okay, these people don't have any problems. They're not desperate. There's no crisis. I'm just going to do a great miracle. No, no. Study it out. Study it out. Seriously, I bet you won't find a handful of, ex of exceptions. So here's the thing. In your life, if you need a miracle, if your children need a miracle, your ministry needs a miracle, God does it when we're desperate because that's how God works. He wants us to get to the end of what? End of ourselves. The end of ourselves, the beginning of God. Amen? So desperate need, my landscape. Oh, God, look at the next phrase underneath number one. God is working to bring you out by bringing you down. That's what God's doing. So if you're having trouble in your marriage, if you're having trouble in your personal life, if your thought life is just killing you, if you are in a mess with your testimony at work, or you just can't even get up in the mornings to read your Bible, you're just basically giving into your flesh, if you have a problem with overeating, whatever the problem might be, God is trying to bring you out by bringing you down. But we want out, and God says the way out is the way down, right? God gives grace to the who? The humble. He lifts up the humble, all right? As long as I'm proud, one of the three legs of the, of the besetting sin stool, I'm not getting out. I have to go and let God crush me. Um, he says somewhere in Psalms, Brother First, maybe you can give me the verse. I know. You know, God is nigh to those who have a broken heart. It doesn't mean like my girlfriend broke up with me and I'm broken hearted. I guess it could mean that, but it doesn't. I wish it did. Not that my girlfriend broke up with me. I don't have girlfriends now. I just have my wife. I think she's listening to this too, so I have to really be careful what I say. Um, but the word means crushed. God is nigh to those who are crushed. And it's not talking about, oh, your girlfriend of, you know, of four months stopped sending you valentines. It's like, I'm desperate. I'm broken. Okay? All right, number two. Destroyed confidence. Destroyed confidence. 
The way you're going to get out, and there's so much here, but the way, that, the way out is when it says in your own, do we have the PowerPoint? Yes, we do. So PowerPoint, destroyed confidence, and the point is in your own ability to fix. All right, don't, don't turn the page yet. Look at this verse, Isaiah 40, 29. He giveth power to the faint, and can you read the underlined with me? And to them that have no might, he increases strength. That's the way God works. When you come to the end of your ability to, to like overcome the, the sin you're struggling with, when God, God all, his, all your life, he's trying to get you to the place where you're like, finally say, I can't do this. Okay, now they're going to have to be desperate, and that means you have to get rid of your own formula, whatever it was. This would do it. No, you have to say, no, that won't do it. No, no thing does it, only a person. Okay, you can turn the page. Not trying to dictate what you do, but I didn't want you to get too far ahead. Like when you're in a college class and the bell rings and everybody closes up their books and the professor's not even done yet. John 15, 4, as the branch, what's the next word? Cannot, you know what, this is, I guess it's underlined in my Bible. Cannot bear fruit of itself. I, one day it hit me when someone was preaching. I know it says, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself. The phrase that jumped out at me was, cannot bear fruit. Okay? You know what? This is all of us. None of us can bear fruit of ourselves. And if you think of fruit, we often think of it in, in like soul winning and stuff like this. Think about fruit in this case in the matter of you overcoming the struggle you've had for 25 years or 10 years. Think of it as this. The Bible actually tells me I can't get results without God. That's what it's talking about. You know what fruit is? Fruit is, is a product of something. So when the Bible talks about bear much fruit, it's talking about the product. And, and the product, if these were real flowers, the product is this is the product of, of what's going on down here. And God says, you can't, there is no product that you're going to be able to produce that means anything. Because without me, you can do what? Absolutely nothing. You can't do anything spiritual without him. Okay, those that are in the flesh cannot please God. Okay, now, brother, first thing to ask you, what do you want me to do? Anything? Just wrap it up, or what do you want me to do? The rest of the points. Number three is a deep return to God. Deep return. Okay? This is what teaches on the three, the, touches on the three root issues of the heart. Okay, so me coming back to God. So if you're struggling with something, that, by the way, this would be your pastor and his wife's prayer for you. If you're not fully committed, what God's looking for is for you to come all the way back to him, right? That's what, the, that's what your pastor, I'm sure, just wants. Everybody in here, if everybody just came to church, I mean, God bless you. Here on a Wednesday night, after a long day of work, God bless you. You're doing the right thing. The next thing God's looking for is for you to be totally committed to him. And you just have to say, I want to come all the way back. Okay? How would I like it if I had a teenager who was in rebellion and they ran away from home and they come back, but they won't sit at the dinner table with the rest of the family? I'd be like, what's with her? She's still, she's, she wanted back. She can't handle living homelessly or whatever. I mean, that was too much. Her three friends that she ran away with, that didn't work. She's home now. But she doesn't come out of her room. When it's time for dinner, she sits somewhere else. Like, she's not, still not with us. Right. And sometimes we want God's blessings, and we're not close. Okay? 
deep return. God's looking to bring you all the way back. Number four, deep our direct spiritual help. Direct spiritual help. So here, here are five things. Continual spiritual input. Again, these are just the outline. You, you can try to measure your life by this. Letter B, ongoing discipleship. So this is direct spiritual help. This is like the doctor applying the medicine right to your broken arm. A genuine walk with others while on the journey. Yes, surround yourself by good people. Christianity is not a self-help club or, or for lone rangers. Letter D, a God-dependent focus to daily deal with root problems. Every day we're going to need God to help us overcome those three things. Letter E, personal accountability. Okay, we need people to help us. L number five, down Roman numeral five, determine, determine cleaning. You can put cleaning up if you want to. But of seven areas, all right, this is a, and there's verses you could write down. Do you have down Judges 14 on your notes? Judges 14, 1 to 9 is where Samson found this honey. And um, I use that euphemistically a little bit. Uh, for letter A, the heart loves. God will help us to overcome sin, but he has to change what we really love in our heart. Letter B, the habits. Man, habits are hard to break, aren't they? But Jesus doesn't have the same habits you have. His habits are righteousness, always doing the will of his Father. Let her see the honey spots. It's in quotes, the honey spots. In other words, where Samson found the honey, he went back and he killed the bear and he went back and saw the honey, or the lion. The honey spots. In other words, this is where are you finding, are, are you, are you finding, is there a certain place you're finding the things that are leading you to sin? A guy looking at the wrong stuff, he can count on one hand where he's going to find the stuff. It's not like every day he goes and does his sin a different way. Certain ways that he's, you know, certain rituals and certain ways of finding the wrong stuff. The home, letter D, the home. And what we're talking about here is cleaning the home up. Sometimes our home's lives can be a problem. We get trapped at home with things that we've allowed to be there. Letter E, the hostile past. The hostile past. Or you could put in parentheses, um, my history. Sometimes we're seeing from our past we have to, in our history we have to go back and deal with. If I'm bitter against my dad from when I was a teenager, I'm going to have to revisit that and get right with God about that. Okay. Letter F, the hold, here we go, the hold of Hollywood. This is what gives me friends and people, friends that like me on Facebook. <laughs> Talking about Hollywood. The hindrance, letter G, of friends and peers. You're being patient. We got two more. Letter six, or no, rule number six, deliberate action. Deliberate action against threats. You have to actually take action. The, the little arrow there, the obvious, first of all, the obvious and historical threats. So letter A is personal triggers. How many of you ever heard of the 80-20 rule? Anybody heard of the 80-20 rule? 80-20 rule is the principle of this, that 80% it has, it has uses in every field, business, everything. But the 80-20 rule is 80% of an effect comes from 20% of causes. 
So in your life, you can read it. There are tremendous resources online about the 80-20 rule. 80% um, of your sin problems come from 20% of situations that, that are not hard to define. And if you begin to look at those 20%, in other words, uh, it's, it's, it's a, the ratio is not even. It's not 50% of your time you're messing up and 50% of the time, it's like 80% of the time you're messing up because of a few causes. Your husband talks to you wrong and you blow up. You know, you give in to the people at work. You know, it, there's, it's very predictable, okay? So you got to go to God and talk to him about where the obvious threats are going to come from. Personal triggers, places, provocative material, letter B, the internet. Again, this is, was written originally to guys that were struggling or would, would be helping guys that struggle. Look at the bolded line. In sexual sin, porn is the drug, the internet is the dealer. Okay, so you have to be willing to deal with the internet, even if it means getting a flip phone that can't get on the internet, because porn is not the problem. It's, it's not the, I mean, it's the drug, but it's not the dealer. Letter C, the world delivered to us as pop culture. If you're a pop culture type person, if you know, the other day I was on, um, on a website, and it, uh, it's a conservative website, and, um, and it talks about something like, look who's breaking up this year, this week, this summer in, in Hollywood. Now that ought to just make you sick. Why do I care who the latest actress is breaking up with? It's just sickening, right? But maybe some of you are all into that. You know who the, you know, Tom, what's his face, is dating now, and you know, you know the latest everything, okay? You're going to realize that the world delivered you the way the world is the enemy of God. If you love the world, the Bible says you're an enemy of God. The devil has the world. It's his playground. But if you, if you make it your playground, you're never going to have your mind in the right place. Because you're always going to be about the latest trend and the latest TikTok thing and the latest, you know, this person, this person, latest movies coming down the pike. Okay, I've, my whole life I've struggled with movies. So I talk about it from an authoritative standpoint that for many Christians, movies are killing us. They're just killing us. Letter four, seven, dependent looking to Jesus. This is the way out. What I mean by the dependent action to abide in him minute by minute. John 15 talks about it. 2 Corinthians 12 talks about his grace sufficient. On the back, there's some verses that will help you. And uh, all these can be helped. All seven of these things, you'll need to, if you went to your pastor and said, okay, so here's what I want you to do. Look at this list, for, look at these things for a second. We're going to pray and I'll let, I'll let the pastor take it. But can you see any of these that really applied to you? Any of these seven things or any of these sub points? I think what God would expect you to do is to start taking action on one of these points. What do you need to do? Do you need to get involved in discipleship? You know, do you need to deal with the, your triggers? You know, do you need to deal with Hollywood? Whatever it is, God would want you to deal with something. Not just make this an outline that, you know, before you get too busy, but maybe begin to let God work in your heart. All right, let's, Pastor, I'll turn it over to you, and, and you can pray if you want. Thank you, folks.